Today on the Vine Church Podcast, we welcome my really good friend, Mr. Jim Ross. And Jim is the founder and CEO of a really cool ministry called The Very Last. And uh, Jim and I have gotten to know each other over the last 11 years um, through a really cool thing that has not really anything to do with what we're going to talk about today, but um, uh, a father-son trip that we do every year. And it's been a joy to get to know Jim uh, really well in the last 11 years as we invest in our boys together every summer. But um, yeah, Jim, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's so good to see you and to hear your voice. And um, I'd love to get into the very last and what that means and the heart behind it and what you've been doing with your life. But man, just help us get to know you. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, you know, anything else you want to share just for the Vine Church to to get to know you. Yeah, I... um... I grew up in a traditional um, religious home, actually uh, Italian background, mafia background, actually. Wow. Um, it's a uh, fairly traditional Southern Italian upbringing. Um, and so I had introductions to um, the church and things like that, but but no, my heart wasn't involved and no one in my family's heart was involved that I knew of. Um, and... Uh, in college, I was challenged, challenged to read the scriptures, and um, really for the first time, I started reading about Jesus and what he said and what he did, and uh, it, it really changed my life, um, and I was on track. I wanted to be rich. I was on track. To, I was doing investment banking, and um, as I read the scriptures, I just felt like God was leading me in a different direction, which was really hard for me to accept. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I assumed that direction was going to be awful, but I, I took a step of, of faith, uh, and obedience. I just, I decided to go for a year, um, to do missions for a year. And that turned into, um, now I think 22 years of, of missions. Okay. And what happened to me with missions was, um, uh, I, I got to go to Ethiopia, um, on a short trip. Um, and work with AIDS orphans. Wow. And I, for some reason, I had always loved working with kids and helping kids um, just in general. And, but being there with these AIDS orphans, this was before there was ARVs, antiretroviral drugs. And, um, and so hundred percent of the kids, I think there was approximately 500 children in this AIDS orphanage in Ethiopia. All of them died. Oh man. Um, because there was no medicine. So by the age of 14, I think all of them would die. So you knew if they got to that age, they weren't going to last very long and Man. just grab my heart. And yeah. especially as I, my eyes were open to the scale of, of that, that was going on. Um, I just, I just could not get it out of my heart and um, couldn't stop thinking about it. And it really became a passion of mine. And a long story shorter, I, I, devoted my life to try to help kids in, in those kind of really hard situations. Um, poor, dying, trafficked, orphaned, uh, in some of the poorest places of the world. Uh, and then, so that's what I've been doing for quite some time. Um, I have a wonderful wife who's super supportive, um, Christy, and I have three children who uh, I really resonated on your, on your podcast. <laughs> talking about how humbling it is raising children yeah um they're all three now as of last week teenagers yeah um and so just um enjoying that and really struggling and wrestling with that and trying to figure out how to best love those kids uh yep. is where i'm at so yeah and you're in colorado right yes colorado mm-hmm. springs yep man so we're gonna come back to all that but i i can't neglect the brief comment about your mafia connection. So what does, okay. that, <laughs> what does yes. that, what does that mean, Jim? Tell us. I keep learning more and more and more. It's Whoa. pretty intense. Actually. I've been kind of separated from it all, but basically my, what would it be? My, um, great grandfather was really high up in the mafia. A lot of, a lot of murder, a lot of things had to flee, uh, Southern Italy, um, near the, uh, Naples area. Um, I came to the U S little 
kind of was in a little Italy in the East Coast. And then they, they family had to flee there. Wow. Because there was a, just a lot of guns, a lot of murder. Um, my, my uncle was at risk of being taken. And so they had to flee there, moved out to California. And that's where I grew up. Oh, my word. Um, so how did you find so, out all this stuff? So I find out about it mostly at funerals. <laughs> 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 at family funerals. The first time I ever heard it, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea because I was very separated from all that. Yeah. I never had guns or anything in my family or I never, there was no risk or anything. Sure, I was very sure. removed. But then I started talking to my uncles and my aunts and my grandma and I was oh like, my oh word. my gosh, what is this real? It's like straight out of the Godfather movies. Like literally the way people looked when I saw pictures, the way they acted, the way it was like, oh my gosh, this wow. is my background. Um. And uh, it's actually really neat because um, a lot of my family has come to know Jesus in a real way um, these last maybe 30 years. And there's been major transformation throughout the large extended family. Wow. Um, awesome. And I mean, not, not, not even close to a hundred percent, but in, in a lot of people, this has been really great. So it's neat just how God turned from just a murderous oh background to a, to uh, um, a really a life giving. Isn't that uh, isn't that fascinating thing. though? I experienced the same exact thing when my dad passed away, and it wasn't like mafia stories or anything, but like talking to his brothers and sisters and just hearing stories that I'd never heard before. Yeah. Um, and they're not all bad or anything, uh, but just things I'd never heard before. And I'm like, really? Whoa, that's kind of cool, or that's kind of weird, or whatever. Um, and like when people die, people are willing to talk. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, people get more emotional, get open up, and, and yeah. you get deeper conversations. Yeah, yeah that, that truly happened. Yeah, deep, much deeper conversations. Um, yeah. So, man, um, I'm just like, so when I die, what are people going to say about me? Like, hopefully it's good. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a, that's a funny thought. That's a sobering thought, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So, Jim, are you... F are you, can I even ask you like the exact places where you work in the world or you're trying to keep yeah. that more confidential? No, that's fine. I just can't share some names and things like that. Yeah. But, so, um, so tell us yeah, generally so, speaking where you are in the world and maybe just, um, if you're willing, like a high level view for someone who doesn't know anything about what exactly it is you're overseeing. Yeah. So it's been, you know, over, I can't, I don't know exactly, but about 22 years is submissions. And so I've been in a lot of different countries helping kids and, um, and really hard situations. Um, but these last three years, I've focused on, um, six countries, um, combination of where I felt like there was some of the most suffering among children yeah. in the world. And then, um, also where I had over these 22 years of of missions where I had signed some of the most trustworthy um, relationships where yep. people really, I really trusted their hearts, their walks with God yep. and their, their interactions with the children and how they try to help these kind of children. Um, so I'm working in, in Africa in three countries, Liberia and West Africa, Central African Republic in this very center of Africa. Yep. Um, and then Zimbabwe, uh, Southern Africa. And then I'm working in a bunch of areas, uh, in India, um, some of these low caste, um, more, um, rural areas. Yep. Um, and then Cambodia, uh, again, in very rural areas in Cambodia and then, uh, in Haiti. Okay. And yeah, so, so you were asking kind of the bigger picture of what I do. Um, the heart behind the ministry, and this is kind of was developed in my heart, in my experiences over the last 22 years. I've been doing missions and I've, I've been working on a long PhD and learning a ton about helping children. And, um, and, and so my strategy i guess you would say has developed and been refined greatly um in a very humbling way a lot of times yeah over these last 22 years and and so this the the, the strategy and the practice is i have looking for those combinations of where children are 
suffering the most, looking for, okay, are there brothers and sisters in Christ who, one, have had their lives changed by God already, and two, who feel called by God to reach a certain demographic of these suffering children in these places? And so it's really something they're already doing without me, without my help. Um, this is their calling. Um, this is their life passion. And so um, I have these relationships and grow these relationships where I come alongside and say, like, for example, there was one pastor who really had a heart to help slum children, and he was going around with popcorn. He, he, he could barely afford to feed his own children. A wonderful man, um, love the Lord, really sacrificial. He's feeding them with popcorn. You know, he give five five kernels of popcorn to each kid or ten, and you know, obviously they're still going to be starving after that popcorn. But that's the best he he had, and he was just given the best he had. And plus, he was just sharing sharing the truth of Jesus's love with them as well. And and so, getting to know him and trusting him, and just loving his heart and his what he was doing, and seeing how he's already loving kids, it's like, hey, uh, I love what you're doing. I love you. Um, if you want, you know, I'd love to come alongside you and help you feed these children even better. Mm -hmm. um, and and so, it's just coming alongside and helping develop a farm or an income generating activity or or some sort of sustainable way to develop income to better actually provide highly nutritious meals for these kids. And, um, and so it's coming alongside different people like that. There's this amazing lady in Liberia, for example, she, when Ebola hit, this is in the, um, this is in the kind of the epicenter, one of the epicenters of where Ebola hit where the most people were dying. She got Ebola and she was one of the first, and so early on, like I would say 90% of people were dying in Liberia early on. It got lower as it progressed. And this is, but, this is just like, so how many years ago was this? I don't know, four years ago? Four or five now, years. Maybe? Yeah, that's what I was going to guess. Um, I could be wrong. But um, but yeah, so she, she gets Ebola, should have died, but her husband, um, awesome, godly man, totally risked his life when he really wasn't supposed to, to... to to help her stay hydrated. She survived. And then she came out of, um, to back to health. She looks around in her community and, and all these parents were wiped out. Just so many people died in her community. And so now you have all these children, um, running, running around with no parents. Um, my word. And, and so she actually had nine miscarriages before she got Ebola. Never was able to have kids, would ask God, strong, strong believer, and would ask God, you know, why I, this makes no sense? Why would you allow this? And then when she she came to health after having Ebola, she felt like this is why. I don't have children of my own, so I can love all these children and be a mom to all these children that lost their parents. And so wow. I I knew of her already through missions prior. I'd been serving in Liberia for 10 plus years and since their civil war and um and so knew about her knew her husband and, and loved them and, and knew her of their heart so coming alongside them to say hey i love this heart can i come alongside you and help you do what god's calling you to do yep and so through the, our our partnership we we have been able to get 350 bola orphans into homes into families through other awesome caregivers Wow. whether it's auntie or grandma or Christian in the church and um, Christian lady, it's often the women who are the heroes, sure. honestly, in these stories, they're awesome men too, but it's the majority are awesome women and yeah. they take in these kids. And, and so it's, it's helping them take the kids in and then love them through nutrition, education, medical care things. And then obviously teaching them about the love of the Lord and the truth. Yeah. So to Lord. summarize, you're just kind of, trying to come alongside folks that are seeking to minister to emotionally, physically, spiritually to the most needy kids in the world, um, to yeah. see them flourish uh, in the gospel and flourish in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really it. It's, it's just coming alongside. I, I have a unique experience um, internationally. And so I have my feet here with the Christian community in, in the U S mm -hmm. And we're the richest, most resourced group of Christians in the history of Christianity. Right. You know, and then you go to the poorest 
countries, the poorest places in the poorest countries in the world. And there are amazing brothers and sisters of ours, yep. amazing heroes um, that we will, we will, I'm sure see clearly when we get to heaven. Yes. <laughs> um, but that, that I see now, um, uh, no one else knows of and no one else sees. And it's like, all right, Lord, you put me in this unique position. And so it's kind of connecting those two worlds and, yeah. um, and trying to bring some resources and support to those who are out there day in, day out, pouring their lives out to help these suffering children. Yeah. What do you think is one or two things that most American Christians, um, let's just say you and me are the typical American Christians. I know we're not necessarily that, but let's just, for, for the sake of the question, you know, middle-class um, church people, um, that live in a different world than the folks that you're ministering to. What's mm -hmm. one or two things that guys like us don't understand about what's going on in places, those places of the world that you wish they mm -hmm. understood? Yeah. So, um, that's a big question. Um, I, one analogy that seems to get people's attention, I guess a little bit. And I've, I've liked is we, we as Americans being kind of the richest group of, of Christians or middle-class people in the history of, of the world, really, we basically live in a Disneyland compared to um, a huge percentage of the world. Right. Um, it, it, I mean, you really think if, if you picked up what you were doing and you got to live in Disneyland and, um, and then someone from somewhere else came in and saw you in Disneyland, riding all the rides, eating all the food, and just having fun living in a hotel all your life. It'd be weird. Yeah. Very um, weird. And be like, what kind of weird existence do you have? That's us. We are, the fact, I just went and grabbed a glass of water and just uh, turn on the faucet. It's amazing water. I drink it. Man, I don't take that for granted. Um, I just marvel when I get to get that water and the fact that I have all this food and, um, geez, all these resources my kids have, it's incredible. And I, I really, um, I, I, I have some, you know, I have a bunch of family, you know, some family members are poor, you would say as an American, um, and, you know, I, I get to hear about their poorness and their, their struggles and their legitimate struggles, but a lot of the struggles are relative. Um, you know, I don't have this, I can't afford a new car. I can't afford um, to buy a house. You know, I, it's just, it's just uh, understandably frustrating. I can't afford this or that, or uh, medical care is expensive, or it's like, Man, uh, you know, yes, you have struggles, but if you if you just interacted with everybody I work with overseas, you have water today. You can go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. I, I just had a friend, a pastor friend of mine died um, in Liberia. No medical care, zero. Um, how did he die? Nobody knows. Um, can he go? Can he go to a doctor? No. You go to the hospital to die. You don't go to get help. Um, and, and just, there's just, there's just no opportunities for him to, um, to get help. And, uh, and so I just, my longing for even those family members, um, or people I interact with that, that are, are down on themselves and on their lives because of their relative poverty is, man, I want you to see how much you have. Yeah. I want you to have a joy and a thankfulness. I don't want you to feel guilty. Yeah, that was that was going to be my next man. question. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, there, and there's no guilt involved, but I just want you to be thankful and yeah. recognize you're living in a Disneyland still. You might not have as much of the resources. You can't buy all the all the expensive restaurants at Disney, but you still get to eat there, and you still get yeah. to, uh, enjoy the benefits of uh, at least on a resource level. Yeah, living in in such a wealthy environment and with so many opportunities. Yep, yep, yeah. That that's been my kind of maybe one ring out from the center of what you're talking about. But that's also been my experience with just um, traveling abroad in the last decade. Is it just you're just talking about a perspective? 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's been my experience as well. Like when you understand more of the world, um, it just gives you a perspective that is, I think it just lends itself to humility and thankfulness, you know? Mm, yeah. And it's just so good for us spiritually. But that being said, I mean, travel is a privilege. I mean, yep, majority, yep, of the, right. majority of the world, like I say that, and it's like, I need to be aware as I say that to our people, like there's just certain people that can't afford to travel. And, mm. um, and I've, I've been able to travel. And, and so I need to recognize that, that that's a reality as well. Um, and be thankful for that, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. But, but I, I just, I want to agree with you, Jim, like, um, and I think ultimately, like, hopefully the gospel is the means by which people truly understand thankfulness. It's, it's hard for, I think for people to, um, if we don't have a vision of the gospel um, mm. and a vision of other yeah. centeredness to really, um, embrace thankfulness for what we have, um, knowing that like our struggles are real, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, like thankfulness is a, probably a battle for everybody, maybe in some sense, even more so for the rich, because, um, mm. I know you've seen this too, that in the poorest of the poor, sometimes there is a spirit of thankfulness and we all know yeah. that there's people that are rich beyond imagination and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Jim, I, I really, really appreciate your perspective. Um, I wanted to transition and talk about Haiti because that's in the news right now. Yeah. And, um, and just, I know you have relationships right now that are very, um, tense, not between you and them, but because of the situation in Haiti right now with the assassination of the, um, is it president or prime minister? A president. Yeah. With the assassination yeah. of the president, yeah. um, it's chaos there. Is that, is that not true? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, um, pockets. Well, it's actually spreading pretty good. Um, but yeah, Haiti's, Haiti's been a really hard place for a really long time. Yeah. Um, you want me to just share what what my experience? Well, is, maybe just so yeah. I mean, or just how we can pray for you and and the brothers yeah. and sisters there. Like what so, what are you hearing on the ground that we could just pray about? Yeah. So, so I got involved like a lot of people, a lot of Christians in the United States um, got involved. I got involved with Haiti after the earthquake. Yeah. Um, which was devastating, and I think. Um, then you know that then really got people's attention because it was all over the news right and so when we see those kind of suffering in our faces we we respond with compassion yeah. i mean it's it's neat uh, the american christian community responds with generosity and compassion and um we don't always respond wisely sure. or we i guess i would say we often don't respond wisely because we don't we're so far from understanding the realities and so when you don't understand a reality that and you try to help that reality that you're misunderstanding it just makes sense you can make a lot of mistakes yep and do some harm instead of good that you're wanting to do and so anyway since the earthquake and that destruction um you know, things have gone better, a, a little bit better, and they get worse, and it's kind of an up and down. And then, and then these last few years, um, there's been a little bit more, a greater increase in anarchy, basically, I would call it. So yeah. there's very little um, law enforcement in general. Yeah. And I'm working um, in pockets of the country that that um, there aren't many resources at all. You know, I, typically the kind of the poorest spots of, in, in these areas. And, um, and so law enforcement is, is, is very unlikely in these places. And so there's just a lot of abuses. And, and so you have a, a lot of poverty that has continued for since, I mean, even before the earthquake, but from the earthquake and till now, there's just people are living in, constant state of poverty um there's an underlying um for me a scary underlying worldview with voodooism yeah and a lot of the voodoo is is huge there and it's a very common practice some people on a small scale some people on a very large scary scale um i even have found um 
instances of child sacrifice still um, within the voodoo community. Wow. Um, very minor, I mean, small numbers of people, but it's still, still, I've seen it occur. Um, and and there's no law enforcement that that reacts to that. Um, so that's just heart wrenching stuff. So and and so recently in these last couple of years, there's 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 this underlying voodooism first of all. Then there's this underlying anger that we are living in poverty and struggling to survive um, nonstop. Like this is never ending. And then there's these government corruptions that people either are true or, or not true but it's perceived at least so the the uh, the average person in the communities feel that we're being we're in poverty and the government's not only not helping us they're taking from us and so then then with the lack of law enforcement um it just gets really scary and so a lot of kidnappings um a lot of um just, you know, whether it's rape and abuses to stealing um, um, and a lot of lives being threatened with, with very little threat of repercussions of getting caught or going to jail. And so, so my leaders in, in, in uh, Haiti are living in a constant state of danger, yeah. constant. Yeah. And so I get nervous because I will wire them funds to, for example, we, we're trying to help starving kids, right? So wiring funds to, so they can buy food. Well, just the act of going to a bank is super dangerous. Sure. Because where, where are they going to, where are they going to stock people? Well, they're going to get people who are getting money out of the bank, right? So they just wait around the bank and then, yep. and then tr- kidnap you or, or just um, kill you and take your, take your money or so. It's really hard, even in that regard. Um, and so, yeah, with the killing of the president, it, it just lends itself to even less law enforcement and more rioting and more um, abuses of people. Oh, and so word. it's it's constant state of fear. The kids were helping. I, I'm, you know, I love prayer just for the leaders and these kids because um, they're there's very little security at all. And so it's scary to go to school, you know, it's scary to go out and farm. It's scary to um, try to sell in the market or, or go buy. Cause you just, if you have resources or they, people think you have resources or think you can be a resource um, and take, you, you know, um, it's just a scary reality. And so that's what we're dealing with in Haiti. Yeah. So the the most recent update from your leaders there is basically just that, that it's just a a cover of fear in light of a complete breakdown of any social structures, um, support systems. um, And, you know, it's just like, I I can't even imagine how you function. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. when, like I take 911 and law enforcement for granted yeah, and I've right. and I've never once had a bad experience. Now I know that I'm I'm in the maybe in the minority there, and there's lots of narratives about bad experiences with those things. Um, but to live in a context where that's not even one of your choices, and it doesn't even cross your mind as a choice, that sounds debilitating to me. Yeah, you know what was eye opening for me over these last twenty two years is you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs with food and safety, food, health. I'd never um, valued. I took for granted in a in an ignorant way. Took for granted law enforcement. Yeah. Like, because I've always had it as an American in general around me. Um, I didn't realize how important it was for society. And how foundational it really is for um, for building any sort of income or having any sort of safe family day to day activity. Um, and so, yeah, in, in Haiti, it's 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 really hard. I mean, it's not a complete breakdown. There is there is little enforcements here and there. But, man, it's it's it feels like in my context with my leaders and the children I'm trying to help feels few and far between and yeah um and so it does feel like you're living in kind of a um, a chaotic society that's fend for yourself maybe like it was in the wild west yeah (laughs) yeah 
I mean, it sounds <laughs> like it sounds like hell to me, honestly. Hmm. You know, it really does. Yeah. Jim, would you share? I remember you sharing with me and another guy when we were in Texas a couple weeks ago, just about that light bulb coming on for you with the connection between the work you're doing to advocate for the poorest of the poor and the connection of that to law enforcement. Do you remember that conversation we had? Um, no, <laughs> I mean, it's not a conversation. So. Well, I'm a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, this is a leading question. So you were just, yeah, jog you, my memory. What you was were talking about, you were talking about the importance and it's kind of what you already just said, but I was going to have you put some more detail on it. Yeah. Of just like, you, it never dawned on you that it's so much harder to help the poorest of the poor if I can't trust that some of these resources will actually get to them because oh, yeah, everything yeah. is so corrupt. Yes. The, the law enforcement might be corrupt or there is no law enforcement if it wasn't corrupt. Um, and so you were being advised, I think, by somebody to like, hey, if you want to do this work, you, the first thing you need in place is law enforcement. Yes. Something yes. like that. The, um, yeah. So you, Zimbabwe, I think that conversation started around Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe, oh man, Zimbabwe, every time I think about it, it's really hard for me because I'm working with kids, uh, mainly uh, AIDS orphans. Unfortunately, AIDS is still a, a big deal. AIDS, or, AIDS back in the day... Um, with Zimbabwe, I should say, was one of the hardest, if not the hardest hit with AIDS in the world, one of the hardest, at least. So the, they had the highest percentage of, of AIDS orphans in the world who lost both their mom and dad to AIDS. And so work, I've been working with kids there um, who lost their parents. And um, one of the really frustrating things is as you learn their history, they used to be the breadbasket of Africa is what they would call them. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's all these possibilities of great production, food production. They should, oh, all natural resources. Every person in Zimbabwe could be very well-to-do and well-fed if if they just maximize those resources. And to see these kids starving is so hard for me. And so we, one of the things that we do is, is okay, I have a wonderful leader there who, who was an AIDS orphan himself. He was dying of AIDS when I first met him, um, we got him on ARVs. He came to health, um, really fell in love with the Lord, gave his life to the Lord. And now he's got this passion to help kids who are like him. Amazing guy, really smart. I mean, I feel like he could be the president, very dynamic, but could be the president, future president of the country. He's so dynamic um, and high integrity. And anyway, so he has this heart to help these kids. And so our goals and around the world is what kind of self-sustainable long-term income generating activity can you do that would help provide a long-term resource to feed these kids and help these kids? And, um, and so Zimbabwe has been so hard because any, any sort of lar pub larger scale thing that could be noticed by government is really hard to, to do because um, that's just without getting into details the, I feel like the government, um, is thwarts those activities. Um, and there's no means, there's no means to call them sometimes to unintentionally. Yeah. Like, What's that? What you're saying? Oh, there's just like no structured means to call them to account. Yeah. Yeah. I just, they, they've had this, um, uh, dictatorship sort of government um for quite some time now and um yeah and and it's just really hard i've met this one business owner who was i won't even say what he was doing but he 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 said i have to hide my vehicles i have to hide my it's a bit he has a big business but he has to hide a lot of it because he's just in fear that the government is going to come and take and thwart what he's doing yeah um and so that's really opened my eyes to like, wow, it's not so simple. We can't just, this guy would be a super successful businessman. I feel like here in the United States. Yeah. Um, very dynamic, very smart, um, uh, very hardworking man. If anything, if anything he does that we do like our, even our farming or our small little business activity, 
if we, even if it was like a hundred percent obvious, we could take this large scale and be super successful. I feel like it's just going to be crushed. It's just not going to work because um, there is not a foundational environment um, by the government and by law enforcement that would allow it to, to, it might be flourish for a year, but it's going to be destroyed yeah. um, sooner or later by, by lack of law enforcement. People are going to steal it and break it or on the other, on the other side, by the government actually coming in and, and imposing their power and their, on, on whatever it is. So yeah, it was really eye opening for me. Uh, just how critical law enforcement is because we can come behind these, these amazing people with amazing skill, amazing talent, but they can't grow their, their business. They can't grow um, their efforts because they're just, it's just thwarted by someone's going to just come and steal it and take, take it away. And, Oh, this is a great story. This is really eye-opening for me. This was years back, but in my early on in my PhD class, and I'm not going to remember the details accurately, but I, so these are just guessing of the details, but I'll give you the bigger picture of the story. Basically it was an, it was an African um, professor who was sharing about his experience. I think he went to Norway or some, um, some Scandinavian country, or I don't remember where, but, um, and he went in, it was a rural area. He went in and there was a, it's just store, but no one was there. And it had sold eggs and milk and the eggs were out on the counter and the milk was in the fridge. And it just said, Hey, milk, you know, $2, put your money here, eggs, you know, whatever for a dozen. I don't know the details, a dollar for a dozen or $2 for a dozen or something. And just put your money here and take it and go. And he, and he, and he started he looking at that and he's like, wow, why? why are eggs so much more expensive in my country? And why are, why is milk so much more expensive in my country? And he's like, well, I started thinking about it. He's like, well, because if this exact shop was put in my, where I grew up in my country, you would have to hire 24 hour security. Yeah. Even with that 24 hour security, you would have, of course, someone would have to work there the whole time who would have to be paid. And then also it would still be stolen at some point, think it'd be vandalized and broken into at some point for sure. So you'd have to have money to replenish all that. And so he's, he just went through all these steps of with the lack of, of stability, law enforcement, safety, the price of those eggs would have been over $10 right. versus $2. The price of that milk would have been five times more expensive. Right. Not, be, not because anything was harder to, to create, the eggs weren't harder to develop or the milk wasn't harder to develop. It was just because all the the things behind the law enforcement and the safety with all those added expenses. And so I see stuff like that all in all these places. Yeah. It's the cost of sin. Yeah. 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 I think this is, man, as you've been talking about this, I feel like this really touches on um, a current controversy and it's the whole like defund the police slogan. Mm, mm. And uh, I fully realized that I'm wading into tense waters, um, mm. even bringing that up. But I think it's really important to bring it up because it's, I think it's a great example for no matter what your position is, these things are complicated. They can mm. never be reduced to, I believe in defunding the police or reduced to, I believe in supporting blue lives matter or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like those slogans are so unhelpful because mm-hmm. it fails to like understand um, the complexity of this. So for example, you're coming from the perspective of your travels around the world and seeing the utter destruction of a lack of law enforcement, the wild West, just chaos. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the Bible says that, Law enforcement is supposed to restrain evil, you know, Romans 13. Mm, mm. But what happens when the when the law enforcement is evil? You mm, know? Mm, <laughs> and right. so that that's uh that's uh yeah. or, or or the laws that we're enforcing are evil. Mm. Right? We're, when we mm. say law enforcement's important, we have to back up a couple steps and say, well, that's assuming that the laws are just according to how God defines justice, and the people that are enforcing those laws desire to uh, honor God or honor, mm-hmm. you know, the laws that 
allow people to flourish as God defines flourishing. And so I can hear somebody say, yeah, yeah, that's great, Jim, but but like, you don't know my story. I'm from inner city Chicago and the cops there basically just prey on us because um, mm. they've got nothing better to do or whatever the narrative might be of my black friends. Um, and so we're not saying that, um, that, that those, all those testimonies of police brutality are invalid somehow. Mm. But I think what I want to say is, um, before you jump on the defund the police bandwagon, um, just think really critically about that, mm-hmm. you know, and it may, mm-hmm. and no one's saying there aren't problems in policing, like, and mm-hmm. the, no one is saying, I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying that, you know, any institution that has sinners in it is going to be messed up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have zero reason to, um, to doubt my black friends' testimonies about their relationship with police, you know, is completely different than mine. Mm. But it's just, um, I just bring all that up because it's just such a great example for us to remember that these issues are complex. Mm. And this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's really important. Like, like the slogans don't help. Mm. Defund the police. Well, okay, Let's talk about why you think that or tell me your story. Let's think about that. Consider my, my friend Jim, and he might have a different perspective from Zimbabwe um, mm. or whatever. I, I just – I um, it's really important just – I'm just really valuing the overlap of what you're sharing with current controversies mm. in our culture, and I just wanted to, to highlight that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's – um, in my case – something I've always taken for granted um, until, I mean, I still do really, but I appreciate it more than ever because of my experiences um, overseas. You know, I coming back to that kind of Disneyland analogy, which obviously breaks down at some point, but um, I, I work overseas in these places that with, with really extreme, hard situations like central african republic oh my gosh um if you want to see uh, i saw a cnn article i think it was or maybe usa today or something that called C- uh, central african republic the most dangerous place in the world to be a child and and you you confirm that you believe that oh man do i ever yeah. uh, it's just wow it's so anyway working in places like that and i come back to the united states um and obviously we have a lot of problems but like let's say our government all the all the on both sides of the of the table right people people on one side upset about our government for these reasons people on the other side upset about our government and i come back from from these countries and i'm like we got a lot of problems but man do we have an amazing government because they're not take we're not disappearing yeah i mean they're not hiding people and killing people and behind the scenes yeah this is amazing you yeah. know and um i just it's different it's really different for me when when i have these have my foot in both these worlds and and you know you can name it whatever it is like our our law enforcement obviously we have issues right you, you see it in the news and um uh, and we have huge ways we need to get better and improve but come back from these countries and i'm like man but but man there's a lot of great things about our, right. our law enforcement right. and and that we can trust whether it's politics or, or law enforcement or our poverty um or our medical system or i just i, I just have a different perspective because i'm so engaged day in and day out in these other worlds right um that it's it's been it's been great for me personally because I'm I'm even in times which seem very tense here in the United States. I just have a lot of gratitude yeah. for what the current situation, even if the current situation could be way better. I still am thankful because it's not even close right. to as bad as what I see in these other places. Right. Right. Um, and then, like you said, right. When you have um, when you have the, a relationship with Christ and you know God's love when you don't deserve it. Um, 
I've learned from these, these amazing people I work with in these other countries who are some of the poorest people on the planet and have the least amount of resources on the planet and the, and the hardest issues with law enforcement and the hardest issues with government, they're full of joy. Yeah. They're full of peace. I mean, there's funerals constantly um, and they still have a love and a peace and a joy and a hope. And it's like, wow, I, I have really no excuse right. as a follower of Christ to not have love and joy and peace um, like they do. Right. It's been so humbling and really um, uh, wonderful for me to be challenged by them in that way. And, and yeah without them actually even trying to challenge me. Yeah. I think what we're talking about, Jim, is really like asking people to think about these issues on a macro and micro level at the same time. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like from the macro level, we're saying perspective is really, really good for you spiritually. And it can hopefully Mm. stir up uh, thankfulness that that over and over in the Bible, God says honors him. When we don't have a sense of um, entitlement, we have a sense of thankfulness. But at the micro level, I could put myself in, you know, let's say I'm, I'm the family, George, let's say George Floyd is my cousin. Mm. And on the micro level, I might feel like, yeah, it's bad over there, Jim, but my government and my, my, my uh, law enforcement are terrorists, you know, mm. they killed my, mm-hmm. they killed my cousin or, or mm-hmm. you know, and we could think of lots of different examples at the micro level mm-hmm. and, and I think the macro and micro, uh, big picture plus having compassion in the, in the smaller detailed individual accounts, um, both are valid. And I don't, yeah, and I know because I know because I know you. Um, neither one of us are saying that that um, the micro isn't valid. But um, when it comes to just our general sense of thankfulness and our general sense of perspective. Um, in terms of what it means to be a Christian in this world, um, the macro is really, really good for us too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll share just another story that that kind of confirms what you're saying. Um, we were just in Chicago celebrating my son's uh, graduate from, graduation from high school, and one of our Uber drivers was from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And when and I I have it seems like every time I get in an Uber, it's with someone that's not from the U.S. Um, and uh, I always, you know, I'm very curious about other cultures. And so I love to just ask him questions and tell me about your world and where you're from and what's it like. And he just started talking like he was ready to talk. And it was cool. Um, and he just said, because like we read the news and in our news, all I ever see is just all of the problems with the U.S. It's like yeah. we have a front row seat to everything that's horrible about the U.S. And I'm not diminishing that for one second. Um, but he says to us, he says, it's really good to live in a country that cares about people. And I'm sitting mm, here going, interesting. are you reading our news? <laughs> 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 and, and he's uh-huh. like, yeah, like, like, um, and he's just saying the exact same things that you're saying, like mm. where he's from, you know, it's just a given. He says that like the government's going to steal from you. And yes, there's people in our country that would have a story about how the government is stolen from them. But he would just sit down with you and saying that from an American perspective. And, and he, I think he would say, brother or sister, you need to come live with me in Nigeria. You know, mm. Um, mm. we're not discounting the pain of your individual story, but from a macro level, it's very, very different. And mm. um, that's essentially what he was saying is like, mm. my government just wants to screw people over. That's really why mm. they exist. Mm. And... Um, and yes, there's ways that our government does horrible things, but just, you know, and we could list the benefits that are different. And I'm sure you could too. I mean, you said one of them already in Liberia, you go to the hospital to die. And in our country, you know, it's not ideal at all, but you can still walk into the ER. And if you're having chest pains, you will get seen, you know? Um, and, and I was just blown away by him saying that. And it just yeah. kind of awakened me to like, Number one, maybe I need to read the news less because I think they're just making money off me being angry or afraid. Um, I, there's probably something there that's a different tangent we've talked about a lot on this podcast in the past, but um, it was just it was just another lesson of like so good for me to be around people from other parts of the world. <laughs> mm, yes, right. It's it's eye opening. 
you know, I have, um, I, one thing that really helps me every day is I have this little, this little globe thing. Yes. And just for, to remind myself of the big picture, um, I try to look at it and I think of actually Isaiah, the end of Isaiah, um, where, where God says, you know, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Yep. So, or the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Yep. Um, you know, I, I look at this globe as if, and I try to imagine as if I am, I'm God looking down on this globe and what do I see? Well, I see maybe 200,000 or so people dying today. Right. Right now, as I'm looking at the globe, right. I see yep. 20,000 children, um, dying of like hunger or just abuses or just lack of simple medicines. I see, I'm seeing that I'm watching and I know everyone, the hairs on every head of every one of those 20,000 children. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so when I try to see that and, and, and then I go through my day with that, starting with that bigger picture in mind, I, I got some problems, um, but man, it, it just puts things into perspective, you know? And, right. and when I'm, when I get sucked into the rat race of the American um, rat race of whatever that is building your American dream and your wealth and your keeping up with the Joneses concept, it's, it's shocking to me how I can get sucked into that, even with my, what I do for a living. And yeah. um, it's just so healthy to, to, for me to see and think about that bigger picture on a, just on a daily basis, remind myself of even, and even the eternal perspective, right? reminding myself that man this is just a dot our life here is just a dot on the eternal spectrum um and we've been gifted as followers of jesus an eternal life with no more of all these suffering and pain and hardships and so what am i going to do on this little dot and how am i going to respond to my my very legitimate serious problems in this little dot but um yeah, I think that macro bigger picture is just so healthy for us to be reminded of as we go through the day because it is harsh. This life is harsh. Yeah. And we do have a lot of problems and um suicide for me in the United States is 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 something that really grabs my heart. Yeah. Um and you know, it's it's not lack of resources materially. Yeah. Um it's it's in the other issues and it's just it just really grabs me yep um so gives just yeah it's just helpful for me to to understand and remember that big picture day in and day out yep let me let me close by asking you this jim yeah um how do you fight against despair in the midst mm. of the you know hanging out with kids in the most dangerous country in the world for kids and the the seemingly hell on earth that exists in mm. Haiti right now, and um, the powerlessness that people feel, and you're you're you get a front row seat to um, the hardest places in the world, especially for kids. And I mean, um, watching kids suffer is just different than watching adults suffer. Both are bad, mm -hmm. but it's different. Mm -hmm. And um, like, how do you keep going? Jim, like what's, what's the key to perseverance for you? Yeah, I, I've really struggled with this actually. I, I feel like my, I've gone on a roller coaster sort of, of, of emotions and, um, you know, early on I, I wanted, it's very idealistic. I wanted to save the world, you know, and save all these kids and, right. um, and then quickly <laughs> the realities of life uh, help me, uh, realize I'm there's, I am not the savior, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I'm really stupid for even having a internal feeling of, of wanting to be. And so I, you know, I had to first come to an acceptance of like, okay, I'm just one small part of a big body. Um, that, that God can use me in small ways. And I just need to be faithful in my small ways. So first of all, just trusting God with that, like, okay, I'm going to trust, I, I'm not the savior of the world. I'm not, I'm just going to trust you with all these huge array of problems and, and just try to be faithful with my, my role, my little part of the body and be really faithful um, in that part. So that was, 
really a big burden that took me years to really kind of let go of and, and trust God with. Um, and then on, and even in my small role, I just have a roller coaster of emotions because I get so excited to help these children and helping them. And then we go help these kids and I see their lives change. I almost always come across children I can't help right, and right. that are dying or that I, I couldn't, we couldn't do anything about. And, and in larger numbers than the kids were actually helping, you know, and, um, and so I'll be, I'll have be filled with joy and excitement. And then I had like one experience, like with Ebola, I, I was during Ebola, I was, I got on the plane and I, it was so exciting to be able to help all these kids. And then I just broke down and yeah. I could not, I could not stop crying on the plane. So super embarrassing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm just bawling yeah. and trying not to like, be loud about it but right, like right so i put my sweatshirt over my head and cover myself and just bawling and um so it's it's i go i still go back and forth through that and and um what what i come back to is um trusting you know jesus i'm so thankful i get to live on this side of of jesus yes. being on earth because yes. you just see the character of, of God, you just see how loving and how kind and how gracious and compassionate. And, um, and so I know my heartbreak and my tears are just a slight taste of his heart, Yeah, his heartbreak, his care, his tears. And I know I can trust that. Um, and I can trust God with all of that and, and be at peace knowing that he's way more loving, way more caring, way more able than I ever could be. And, um, and so I, as, as long as I feel like I am being faithful to what he's asking me to do and loving and, and as faithful as I can in the ways he's asking me to love, I just have to trust him with the rest of that. Yeah. Um, and I still doesn't mean I'm still not emotionally roller coaster of crying and, yeah. and then, and then, and then being joyful and back and forth. But, um, but that's kind of how, how I've, I've navigated it. And I do, I can say, I do feel like, I feel like his peace transcends all. Um, and so I do feel like I'm in a, in a general constant state of peace, even, even though it's hard, like Haiti right now, it's really hard for me to be at peace because I love yes. um, these, these friends of mine, these leaders, I love these kids. And so it is hard to be at peace, but I do feel like his peace transcends uh, at least the majority of, yes. <laughs> of my day because yes. I can trust him because he yes. is, he is so much more caring about it than I am. Yes. Loving about yes. It. Yeah. Jim, I think about it like this. Um, like the Bible is very clear with two things. Number one, that God's heart is for the marginalized and he loves mm. it when his people advocate for the marginalized. Um, it, it displays for the world that we have his heart. Um, that seems very clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But then the question becomes, God, you know I'm limited. You know mm -hmm. I'm not the Savior. Um, and you know that I'm probably going to be despairing sometimes when I get a front row seat to suffering that I can't do anything about because I'm so limited. Mm -hmm. And then he says in his word, there's coming a day when I will make all things right. Yes. You know, and... And that's for me, what helps me sleep at night, you know, that I, mm. I, it's not my job to sort it all out, mm. but it is my job to read his word and obey heart for the marginalized. Mm. And it's also my job to read his word and obey by faith and trust that, um, he's, he's going to take care of it. Mm. And, um, I, I, I just, I know you believe those things too, Jim. And I just want to say. Um, I'm so thankful you're my friend and mm. I'm so thankful here for your courage and for the miles that you log, um, on airplanes mm. and, and the conversations you've had and that you persevered through COVID and endless zoom meetings for 18 months or whatever. Mm. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so thankful, um, for what you're doing and, and, and hear this man, your, your labor's not in vain, you know? And, uh, mm. and it all, it's all going to make sense someday. Right. Mm. All right.
So yeah, yeah, I love what you shared. I, I feel like one of the gifts of getting to do what I do is I get to see these heroes. Like I think of them as like the Mother Teresas that everyone got to know. Yeah. Mother Teresa her name at least these, these are mother Teresa's that are doing amazing things like her, but no one knows their name. And right. so I hate, they bless my life incredibly. And one of the things is in this regard, they're, like I said, funerals nonstop, right? People are dying nonstop and their perspective is so healthy in that. Like, here's an example. One of my African friends said this to me and it, it just stuck with me. He's like, just matter of fact, we're talking. He's like, yeah, I got like five minutes on this earth. Um, you know, what am I going to do with my five minutes? And, um, and then he's like, then I got an eternity with no, no more. We have eternity with no more death, no more hunger, none of this starving and pain. So Amen. what am I going to do with these five minutes? And, and during these five minutes, I can rejoice. Yeah. I can be full yeah. of joy because man, the gospel is going throughout. People are, are coming in on Christ. They're, they're have eternal life. And, and so, yeah, I think of that comment, like, Yes, this is like only whether I live a hundred years or or one one more day. Like, this is like five minutes. But then, as soon as these five minutes are over, there is a reason. Jesus, God did something so drastic, right? right sending right, Jesus, right? Very serious reason. Um, yeah. This this life, this world is fallen, yeah. and it. But it's man, it is like a five minutes, and when those five minutes are up, He sent Christ to gift us with an eternal life yep. um, that we have and we can have just like my African friend in the midst of a lot of death and pain and hunger, you can have a lot of joy um, because we know, we know our future um, that has been gifted to us through, through Christ. Amen. Um, so I love it. That's something I feel like their perspective has just blessed me incredibly. Yep. And uh I would love, you know, I would love that we could grow in that perspective here in the U.S. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah. Amen. So, Jim, if people wanted to find out more about you or what you're doing, is that something they can do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the best way is to just email me, um, Jim R J I M R at the very last dot org, and I love to just schedule times to just talk, and, and people have a lot of questions and. The nature of what I do, um, sometimes it has to be um, a little bit hidden because private. Um, people can can get hurt in their countries sure. for doing what they do. Yep. Um, so it's not super public, but I do have two websites also that I, they're just very simple, public facing side of things. Um, the, the first one is and the last shall be first dot org. Yep. Um, that's, that one more shows a little bit of, of some of these, some of these heroes of mine, um, areas where they help kids. And then, then when the kids, um, grow up into health, come to know the love of Christ. And, and if they're wanting to serve Christ with their life to help other kids who are like them, like I mentioned, my leader in Zimbabwe, I, we have a program that helps scholarship them to anything from a trade school, farming to medical school. And it's, it's a discipleship leadership development program um, to basically help them develop into followers of Christ that will have an exponential impact in helping other kids that were just like them in their countries. So that one's called Makundi. It's a Shona word from Zimbabwe. It means overcomer. It's makundi.org. Um, but again, these are very limited websites. Um, so the best is you can look at them, but email me and I can always um, answer any any questions. And Cool. So Jim R at theverylast.org. Yes. Awesome, Jim. The very last. Well, Jim, thanks so much for this conversation, for your time, what you're doing. And um, thanks so much uh, also for pouring into my boys these last 11 years on our annual mm. father-son trip and mm -hmm. looking forward to more conversations. And we'd love to have you back maybe in a year, just hear what's going on and talk some more. Uh, I love it. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for even inviting me and, and getting to share. I appreciate it. <laughs>